welcome. This is William Evans, and you are listening to A Living World Story, a conversation with Brooke LeVan. Brooke and Rose are co-founders of Sustainable Settings. Welcome to the here and now, Brooke. <laughs> well, uh, I think I'm on time. Thank you for being. <laughs> Tell us what it was like for you when you first began throwing pottery. Connect with that feeling. <clears throat> and what happened within you in the pottery studio? Well, it's always been kind of a search. The art track or the pottery track was uh, not about making art. And so studio right away was a, a place not to manufacture product, but a place to experiment and to search for really self and who you know try to find out who I am or who I was and and how uh, I was going to operate in the world and so the art process was a means of grappling with myself and the, the world I noticed that I was a medium my being was a medium like clay and I found a way to understand the world by searching for cup or searching for bowl or searching for plate. And so it was manifest as a pottery making. And the repetitive, the repetitive aspects of making dishes uh, allowed was kind of a meditative search. And it allowed for... I needed to put tons of material through my hands in these searches. What did it feel like? Well, uh, studio, now, Rose and I have been married 38 years. And I always say that says more about Rose than it does about me. But before we had met, I was already deeply engaged in this process. And when we got together, she knew right away that there'd be times I'd be gone in a sense of in a different time and a different space in studio. And what did that feel like? Well, it, you lose track of linear time and you lose track of you're focused, you know, on your search. And was it ecstatic? Oh, yeah. Well, it's a high and it's ecstatic. It's blissful. It's blissful to be in that timeless state. Absolutely. And uh, That's good. That's, it, that's enough. Okay. I simply wanted people to hear what you, uh, you experienced and have it as a reference throughout this conversation because... My second question is, are you in a similar state of being with your healing work on the land at Sustainable Settings? Yeah, this morning I was uh, going over your, our recent conversations, and um, we talked about a bunch of things. But one of the things uh, that stuck with me was how grateful I am and how fortunate I feel to be the steward or the custodian of a piece of land. 
And so there's a humbleness there, but there's also a selfishness too. And that selfish motive is that I am living in ecstatic time or in bliss a lot. You know, I do have to leave that state when I come to town or when I have to, you know, like I think you mentioned, you know, catching the train or a bus, I have to leave that, that ranch time or village time, we used to call it, in Africa. Right. Recently, you forwarded to me a report on the U.S. Senate approval <laughs> of the Sunshine Protection Act. However, the bill stalled in the House of Representatives, oh. which means that standard time is returning. Oh. On Sunday, clocks turn back one hour, and as a result, in the late afternoon... Listeners to this program are traveling home in the dark before dinner. Mm. Well, time is a construction. There's evidence of that. Yeah, and supporters of the legislation tell us that simply by adjusting the clock will promote more economic activity. (laughs) Well, that's good for the human economy and growth model. (laughs) Well, you asked me what I made of this. Mm Mm-hmm. And first, I'd call attention to the senator who explained this is not the most important issue confronting America, but it is one who's uh, one issue where there is a lot of agreement. This is an idea whose time has come, but obviously there wasn't enough agreement to uh, pass the House of Representatives. But it gives us an opportunity to converse about the consequences of linear time and the benefits of being in that state you were in the pottery lab and at sustainable settings. What, what do you make of this political management of time? Well, I guess I think about reason and uh, premise. Reason's a good tool, and where we fall short and where we go awry is when we, when our premises are based on either linear time or sacred time. And if we don't have sacred time, that's deeply embedded in our being to experience that again in our souls and in our history or in our cellular somatic matrix is the desire or the need to re-experience ecstatic bliss or a timeless time. When our premise is based on, you could say, greed or linearity or re, uh, reduction, is our premise is off and our reason shifts and we end up with some of the issues that we have that we're trying to correct in, in our view of nature. and I have indigenous friends who tell me that as they learned about their heritage, they learned their language had no word for time. Evan Pritchard is an example with what he learned about his Mi'kmaq heritage. And they have a word for now, but no word for time. 
And yet today, many of us are uh, trained obediently to pay attention to the school clock and be on time, but have difficulty reaching the state you found in the pottery studio and at sustainable settings. They may, they may never get there. Right. Thinking back, though, that was a challenge all the time, uh, so to speak. I remember uh, talking to one of my mentors when I was applying for teaching positions. And I got my, my master's, which is a terminal degree in art, and I'm applying for teaching positions. And he said, his one advice was, when you get into a faculty, he said, just be on time. And so my first year of teaching, I would show up prepared. I had done my homework, whatever I was supposed to do on my committee or whatever. But I might have been five minutes late. And when I sat down, I've got, you know, I came in, of course, I'm late. And so I got all kinds of looks. But when we went around the table, very few were prepared and had done their work. I had done my work, but I was late. And so it's almost like that's all they thought about and cared about was my tardiness, not whether we could move a project ahead or not because we had all done our work. So there's a certain thing about indigenous that when we were in Africa and other places and working with Indians and, or you know natives, the indigenous, I have uh, experienced that something about time and that we things are done when they're done we were in Ghana I was we were on this Fulbright study and I called in uh, I had an interpreter and I called in a land priest to help explain the whole process of determining where a building goes and and all the sacred acts and all that and he agreed to meet me and he said I'll meet you after sunset and so there and uh, by the equator the sun sets at six and rises at six all year round, unless we play with daylight savings time. Yeah. So uh, we agreed to meet up on this adobe roof and uh, this building. And so sun's going down, so I go there, and I set up, and I wait. And it's six o'clock, and then it's seven, and then it's eight, and then it's nine, and then it's ten, and... And the moon comes up, and he showed up at midnight. Now he was on time. Me, white guy, was waiting six hours for him. <laughs> so there are lessons like that. So you were bringing uh, some of your obedient world in your training to that Fulbright experience in Africa. Well, yeah, still getting over are still are trying to understand time. And linear time is huge. It's the governing concept of our Western industrialized civilization worldview. We're linear thinkers. Yeah, which is, yeah. A straight line is fast and efficient, but there can be adverse consequences to fast, aggressive, forward living, especially if you're working with <coughs> the land. Well, 
if you work with horses, they teach you a lot about that. If I'm going out to hook up a team and work on the land with the horses, I start the day or so before. And that morning that I'm ready to go out and work with them, they already know. So there's telepathic and there's all, all kinds of other levels of communication. Yeah, they're intuitive creatures. Yeah, but when I walk out there, I don't walk a straight line at them. It's a serpentine path, and I might look over at the pile of hay, you know, the stack of hay we have, and think about, well, we could organize that a little differently or, you know, look around a little bit and pay attention to the hole on my way out. And by the time I get there, um, they're calm, I'm calm, and we have a good day in the field. And there's been days when I've been in a rush, and I don't prepare, and I do, and I do a, pr uh, approach them directly with my, you know, slow as fast is what a horse will teach you. And if you want to clean their hooves with a hoof pick, you want to be going slow. Yeah, well, most anything. Anyway, so there's a, a different sense of time. Um, <clears throat> we work a lot with cows. We have a dairy. And so cow space, and there's pig space and chicken space and time too. And so they all have different rhythms. And so we learn a lot from them. And so do plants. And so, do the, so does the life or all of the life in the soil. It has, you know, rhythms and time and... Um, all different layers there and I uh, I like again I feel grateful to be able to throw myself in there and see just how I do respond to those different paces yes and we have this contrast then between what you experienced as a young potter and what you're doing with the land and most of the world and particularly the education and lifestyle I had, mm. which was kind of like being on time to catch a train all the time or an airplane. <clears throat> Not having a choice is a real handicap. And mm. you talked about the premise. It's like where you're deciding the destination of where you're going. Maybe we're not going where we want to go. Yeah. I'm reminded of uh, our, our uh, research and travel in China. And, of course, we're trying to traverse and navigate the entire Yellow River for 4,000 miles. And so we are on a schedule of our own making, but we have you know, destinations to get to. And luckily, we were with our first son, Cooper, who was five and turned six on that trip and we know that you know if we're going to get down the river to the mouth of the river 4,000 miles away we had to move along at certain points you know we'd stop and build river craft boats and rafts and things but there we had to we had a plan and we had to keep going and so thankfully our five-year-old six-year-old Cooper would say okay and we'd say it's time to go and we're moving down to this next village and he would walk a little bit and then bend down and say, frog, look at this. You know, look at, look at this fish. Look at this crab. Look at this. You know, and so luckily we had that child perspective to slow us down and to 
keep us in a whole nother sense of time. Yes. Well, I noticed early on you used the word sacred time. And I have been, I've been influenced by reading people who grew up in sacred time. Mm-hmm. But they call it now. Mm-hmm. And I've been toying with what I, what I want to call it. And I think it's living world time. In contrast to uh, the dying world destination that the media tells me we've created. Mm-hmm. Uh, with our linear model, yeah. our line, our straight line, our bottom line fixation. Well, for them, they're not wrong. No. That's their construction. But what maybe what we're talking about here is that we do have a choice in how we construct our reality or how we construct our sense of space and time. And relate to it. And relate to it. Yeah, I mean, we're working on things making medicinal preparations and making land preparations and in the co-creation of those if you've ever been to one of our biodynamic workshops or other aspects of things that we share we create an altar or we create a container to work in and all of the participants are inside that container and it's a different sense of time and that container is usually a circle can be we don't limit that sometimes it's an oval <laughs> yeah sometimes it's you know but it can it can be whatever you need it to be right because we are free and we have our free will and we are this is real freedom will i think i found is that we really can every day all the time construct for ourselves sacred space and time we have that ability and we do get interrupted with you're late for bus, the bus, or the restaurant doesn't open for another half an hour or whatever. But um, that's just an opportunity for us to engage on another level. I think we're surrounded by opportunities to engage. We just don't always take the opportunity. This is Katie and Kay, and you're listening to a Living World Conversation with Brooke LeVan about the benefits of being here and now. So linear thinking is not the only approach to life. There is an alternative. Oh, thank goodness. (laughs) And life and nature largely move in circles. For millennia, the circle was the primary blueprint human beings used to organize their lives, to center themselves, and to recognize their essential wholeness in connection with the universe. Tell us a story about the benefits you observe working in circular time with humility and respect. Many, many stories. Um, The benefits. Well, I think a lot of folks talk about connection or disconnection today and when we let go of these linear, these, uh, these ideas or constructions that are imposed on us, which I find very oppressive. Rose and I had to build this island of health called Sustainable Settings because 
the alternative kind of sucks. Meaning, I we need to be in that other sense of time and space, and so we had to create a an organization and or a concept that fulfilled in us and was optimum for our evolution. And being in a growth economy in the Western paradigm with a sense of linear priorities wasn't feeding parts of us that we needed fed. And so for us, we highly value, and we highly value that. Uh, for us, that is, uh, you know, we've had some uber wealthy friends and supporters and you call them one percent so you call them whatever you want but they're folks that have me uh, financial means right doesn't necessarily mean they're together themselves but they sure can move and do things in ways because of the financing and money uh different than many other people and they're a lot of good people but uh We've had them out to the ranch. We've been fundraising and or they just like to come to the ranch. And so we'll have them for lu- out for lunch or a meal. And very typically they look at a, across, here's our group gathered. for, a, And we have a little blessing. And we're grateful to all of the beings that, you know, provided the sustenance that we're all consuming. And the comment can be typically, Wow. Do you all eat like this all the time? Now there's the flavor aspect and there's the nutrient density and all those other things but the, and the community. You know, what are they feeding on? What are they picking up on? And one of the final comments is typically you've discovered real wealth. And this is coming from somebody who's got a lot of dough but that doesn't mean that they're experiencing its fulfillment the real wealth and so that's something we've come to that's compensation for us we don't take home much financial (laughs) you know our paychecks are pretty low but that's not why we're there we're there for that and uh and so we're getting compensated at a very high level and it's recognizable and it's uh palpable felt when people come out and being in the present moment being in the here and now is in my experience rewarded with a state of joy that can't be bought well in that last context of having folks over for a tour or for a meal or something Maybe that's what happens for them is they leave behind the past and the, when they get to the ranch. And so we're kind of a sphere of now out there. I think that might be true. And when you're in moderation and balance in that sphere, you've been able to evoke healing of the land and work with the intelligence of the land and the creatures and the plants in a way that hadn't been done before you got there. Well, I can't speak for previous stewards on that place, but, um, and I want to be clear that it's not me and it's not you, it's through us. So 
got to be careful with that, if you know what I mean. Oh, I understand. Yeah, you're you're a static-free, clear channel for universal energy. Well, we all are, or we but, all have the capability of being. But when you're living in the present moment, you have the capacity to, to access that and work with it um, that – if I'm trapped in linear time, I don't have that ability. I have to get quiet, go down to the river, stand on a rock, get into the flow, and then I can come have a conversation with you. Yeah. Well. But you're getting some nice Department of Agriculture validation. Tell us about that. Well, yeah. I mean, what we're trying to do is demonstrate on some level and educate uh, but first, we've got to demonstrate. And uh, is all this hoopla we're up to over there uh, doing anything or not? And so there's the horizontal, of course, the good sound horizontal, you might say organic or permaculture or other aspects. And then there's the vertical aspects, and I think that's what you're getting at. And the vertical aspects are um, our humble intent to rediscover or re-enchant uh, re a harmony and balance. It's been wonderful talking with you, Brooke, in the here and now. Yeah. Thanks for having me out. And I, by the way, I want to thank you for this book uh, you gave me, uh, The Temple Within from Evan Pritchard. I, uh, I douse books, you know, uh, maybe I don't think I have much time and I'm busy, but I usually douse the books and uh, out of a scale of zero to a hundred, uh, this got a 93. Oh, I'll let him know. <laughs> this is KDNK. You've been listening to a Living World Conversation with Brooke LeVan. <laughs>